This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on this show. Joining me as always is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. We are coming to you live or live in podcast land whatever you want on friday february 26th we did not have a show last week kind of busy in the mizzou world but we are coming to you this week since we were last with you we were talking about i guess it was right before the rally for ryan game but how missouri needed to win some of their next games just to really solidify where they were in the conference really hasn't gone that well they lost to arkansas then they lost to georgia the game after uh jeremiah tillman took a tiny leave of absence from the team due to a uh, death in the family as a lot of you know they finally got back and won against south carolina that next game and then lost on tuesday against ole miss again they do not play this what would have been tomorrow because texas a&m has just given up on their season and can't get covid right everybody else can figure it out in the sec but they can't in college station for whatever reason so missouri's next two games to finish out the regular season are this coming wednesday against florida and this coming Saturday at home against LSU. Where in all of that do you want to start, Langston? Um, just kind of in honor of, you know, Joel Lenardi being on the podcast today, I went back and, and looked at some of his uh, rankings throughout the year. And it's kind of crazy to think back on, you know, February 2nd, Mizzou was projected to be a number four seat by Joel Lenardi and ESPN. And then now you kind of go a little bit over, you know, three weeks since then. They've been three and four since. Uh, they went from ranked 10th on February 8th to now being ranked 24th. And it's just kind of crazy to kind of put that all in perspective. Now, two of those losses, and you already brought that up, that Jeremiah Tillman had to take a leave of absence. I don't really put those losses on Mizzou, especially shorthanded in such short notice going into that Arkansas game when you know you're going to be without one of the pillars of your defense. Really just, I believe it was like 36 hours before the game tipped or 48 hours before the game tipped. So Not even. Yeah, yeah. a really tough way to kind of have to cycle through and kind of change the entire game plan knowing that Tillman wasn't going to be there. But it's just kind of been a free fall. And, you know, in your latest article kind of talking about the five things that we've learned, it's not time to panic. But there's definitely concern here with this Missouri basketball team. Yeah, as I kind of put it with Joe, Missouri started out ranked or picked 10th in the conference. They got to number 10 in the country, and they're trending towards a number 10 seed. When Joe put them number four, it was very high on the four line, and it was kind of seen as low. I mean, CBS had had them at a two at that time, and you know their national average is around a three and a half at the ranking. Now they're right under about a six coming into this week and that was before the old miss loss they're probably six and a half seven now and in joe's latest projection that's exactly where they are at on the seven line and he'll kind of explain why and going into a lot of you know his theories as to how missouri probably pretty much is a, is a lock already for the nsh the, the free fall they've kind of had over the last three or three or four weeks uh you know just kind of looking at you know missouri basketball as a whole you know it, it's not that they came back down to reality it's just like I think Missouri fans, you know, kind of got ahead, and 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 that, as what happened, you know, that we see this, so we saw going into the season, maybe the ceiling for this team is kind of where they are right now at the six-seven line. I, I didn't think it was a surprise, and it was a good surprise that Missouri was able to get up into those higher rankings, but 
kind of right here is where we kind of expected them to end up in the first place. So, you know, just it, the world evened out a little bit. I think it, they came crashing down a little harder than a lot of people expected. I mean, you mentioned that they were without Jeremiah for that Georgia game. They should still have not lost that game. Georgia's not very good. Um, and, and even without Jeremiah, Arkansas hasn't lost an SEC game since January 16th. And they beat Alabama on Wednesday, I think by 15th. And they, you know, almost lost to Missouri without a Jeremiah Tillman. You know, th- there's something to be said that Parker Brown on that, you know, game time field goal at the end of, relation, end of regulation was fouled and it wasn't called. So that probably could have made Missouri win that game. But overall, you know, just I, when I look at the problems they've had over this five game, you know, four and five game losing streak, I, I've, I've thought for a while that Jeremiah Tillman is their most important player, is their best player. But maybe the most influential player in tone setter might actually be Xavier Pinson. And he's been in a funk that entire time. I mean, he played, he had 16 points against South Carolina, played pretty well. But outside of that has been, I don't want to say a liability, but you look at just the plus minus him against Drew Buggs, and it's like a, it was a 27-point difference against Ole Miss, and that's not good. And it's been around that a few other times, so just you know he's he's absolutely dynamic and tough to stop when he gets going it's just we haven't seen him get going enough over the last month i am so happy you brought that out because i got that labeled in my notes right here minus 15 for pimpton um against old miss plus 12 for drew bugs can you kind of just walk me through when you're watching that game i mean obviously you're not checking the stats of the plus minus all throughout but i mean did you get that feel watching the game that was such a disparity between the two guards yes because Drew Buggs was the point guard during their 11-0 run, the entirety of it, and Pinson was on the bench the entire time. And, you know, a lot of us on Presser were talking kind of at the beginning of that second half that that first four minutes of the second half was going to determine if Missouri was going to win the game. And Ole Miss won. It just comes down to, you know, when Missouri, you know, could not win that first portion of the second half, you know, even with that run, it seems like they just went through all their options and got it just back to even but couldn't get over the hump and how much and and my question for you now is you know and we'll talk about this one with when we uh after joe lenardi we get to joe lenardi and but how much of missouri's recent problems do you put on the players how much do you put on Conzo? how much do you put on luck how much do you kind of divvy all that up as of right now it's hard to blame any one section of people for this kind of spell it it starts with the unfortunate events that happened with Jer- in jeremiah tillman's family i think that's where this kind of funk begins you have those two losses but after that i mean you've got to put it on the coaching got to put it on the players i mean when you have pinson who's supposed to be probably when you're top two top three best players and he's in a, a type of funk like this how are you supposed to win games they have a lot of experience returning they do have depth but they don't have that top end talent that and that was kind of looking back throughout the season and why we got and I feel like myself especially in this got so excited about this you know Missouri basketball season the wins over uh, Tennessee the wins over Illinois Missouri was able to win those games without really having the best players on the floor and so when as a collective your best players don't play that well and you don't have that top end talent that could single-handedly carry you to a win you're going to struggle. And that's what's happened over the last few games, especially in this, you know, dropping four of the last five. Well, we'll talk more Missouri basketball when we get back from the break. Uh, as you see in the title of this episode, we got ESPN bracketologist Dylan Nardi to actually talk to us about Mizzou basketball and explains 
just his ins and outs and just, you know, basically where Missouri stands as of right now. So without further ado, he is here is ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Joining the Medu Sports Podcast this time is ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi. How are you doing, Joe? I am just fine, Eric. How are you today? I am doing well. It is uh, February, uh, I guess, 26th. I'm looking right at the date. I don't know why I got that wrong. Uh, and so let's, let's just, just be frank and get it out there. You know, where does Missouri's resume stand as of right now for the NCAA tournament? Well, in about two and a weeks, they've fallen from a four to a seven. Uh, not certainly going to kill their NCAA tournament chances. And had we, you know, had an interview at the start of the season and said, on the last Friday of February, Mizzou was going to be a seven seed. We might have had a party to celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, reality and injury kind of caught up with the Tigers here. They've lost, what, five of four or five, something like that? Correct. Uh, and, and I know that they finish. They don't play this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah, Texas A&M is due to COVID. Yeah. Right, but they they got Florida and LSU to finish. So you know, let's say they split those games, one away, one home, and that they'd probably take a split at this point. Uh, that would be eight and eight in the league, and for an eight and eight SEC team, if 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 that turned into a seven seed, really anything in the top half of the bracket, that would historically be a good outcome. And it's because in the you know they piled up some great wins at the beginning of the year that have staying power. And, you know, for them, they're still staying, and they have power. You know, they beat Alabama. They beat Illinois. Uh, they beat Oregon. Uh, both in league and out of league, they've got some nice resume uh, components. Now, what are they going to do down the stretch? Can they get it back together for the SEC tournament? In other words, can they arrest this little slide that they're on and get themselves a seed, which gives them a more realistic chance to get you know, through to the second weekend, uh, that remains to be seen. But the metrics, at least right now, and I've never seen a metric take a shot, so I, I, I understand that humans play the game and not stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it would be hard to bet on Mizzou at this point to, to be more than maybe a one-win, one-loss team in the tournament at this moment. And I saw, and I saw you say this. I guess it was probably late Thursday night on Twitter. So I just want to kind of dive a little bit more into it because I think you know, expectations from Mizzou fans are a little bit all over the place at the moment. Losing four or five after being ranked number number ten team in the country, uh, you have them right now as a number seven in the third region with Michigan as a number one seed. Uh, second round matchup against Villanova or UMBC beat Virginia a couple of years ago, obviously. Uh, just, you know, just were, you know, would that pass even give them a chance at, you know, you think getting the second weekend with Villanova right there, or would that actually be a good draw for Missouri, do you think? I, I don't think it's a good draw to get Villanova simply mm-hmm. because of their recent pedigree as a tournament team, right? I mean, you know, they, 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 they've been so machine-like in the tournament in recent years that you have to not only be at your best, you have to hopefully catch them on an off day. Now, this team's nowhere near as good as the one that won the title in 18, and which was truly elite, and not, not as good even as the one that won in 16. They're closer talent-wise to that one. But, 
Yeah, that that would be a tough draw. If, if I'm Missouri and I have to play a second round game, you know, against a higher ranked team, I want it to be somebody that kind of hasn't been there before, and maybe gets a little bit starry eyed from the bright lights, because then maybe my toughness and and my you know uh, tested season in the SEC and a really good non conference would would you know, turn into a positive. I, I I just don't think Villanova is is that team necessarily. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think you said also last night that if Missouri even loses out, which would mean a loss to two, I guess, two tournament teams, LSU and Florida, and then it would be a, a game in the SEC tournament probably against, you know, one of the other teams it's in, maybe even LSU or Florida again, you know, they they'd, they would might fall a little bit more, but you would probably still have them in the tournament field, correct? Yeah, I mean – you know, one of the ways I try to answer those hypotheticals, which are largely unanswerable, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because what you're doing is you're saying, all right, I'm studying your team, but I don't know what any of the other 356 are doing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which also has an impact on you. But in, 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 in the most basic sense, you know, rarely do you lose a game at this point of the season and it costs you more than a full seed line. So let's say they lose – these two regular season games, and each of them cost them a full seed line, which is, again, unusual. But So that's seven, eight, nine. And then let's say the conference tournament game is against one of the bottom dwellers because they've fallen that far in seeding, mm-hmm. and it costs them two seed lines, which, again, is really the, the worst end of the spectrum. So that that's seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Like, Number one, that's not going to happen. And number two, if it did, they would still get in. So that's why my quick snapshot answer was yes. If someone would have told you, I guess, back in November, Missouri would have, fans would have been disappointed with a, with a seven seed with this roster, you would have said, that's crazy, right? Yeah, I would have said that they needed to get over themselves. <laughs> yeah, but that's the reality of the situation. But that's college uh, basketball. Yeah. Right? I'm sure they feel the same way at Alabama or, uh, y- you know, other, other you know, at Oklahoma State, which didn't even know it was going to be eligible for the tournament. Right? But, but you know, once you get there, you know, the, 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 the Tampa Bay Bucks weren't necessarily supposed to make the Super Bowl either. But once they got there, you know, their fans, I'm sure, weren't just happy to be there. They wanted to win the darn thing. Hmm. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I, I know you cover a, a ton of college basketball, but I mean, it, it's, it's a weird stat to say that Missouri hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since uh, since my, personally I was I was in high school. Uh, it, it's been ele- it's been eleven years. Just just I know they had that team that lost Norfolk State in 2012, and they've had a couple chances since then. But just you know, with the pedigree of Norm Stewart, and I guess now you can say the pedigree of Quinn Snyder, even though he didn't do that well at Missouri, but he's now coaching you know, the all-star team in the NBA. Is it, is it weird to see a, a, a rich program with a Steve Stepanovich and a John Stunvold and players like that who has been so been so long without an NCAA tournament win? Yes. I mean, it is it is unusual, but not rare. <laughs> like, if we went through the power conferences, I, I'm guessing that there would be at least a half a dozen teams probably more that have had similar length droughts of 
uh, you know, it, it, it's one thing not to win the games. It's another thing to not make it at all. And that's been the real problem. Like, winning the game is a 50-50 proposition unless, you know, you're Baylor, Gonzaga, or or somebody like that that's going in and getting a round or two where, where they can kind of blow off the cobwebs, right? Um, you know, the Missouris of the world are, are generally not going in with that kind of a seed. Like, like the Elite Eight team with Mike Anderson was – what, like a three or a four seed, if memory serves? But, yeah, um, they were a three, yeah. Okay, so, like, you know, it really, like, people say, well, you know, a team can play their way out of a bad seed, which is an excuse the committee gives itself sometimes for not evaluating properly. And and I would say that's hogwash because your, your seed is pretty doggone important because it determines your path. And the probability of a three playing in the Elite Eight is a whole lot higher than a seven, a 10, or a 12. Uh, so don't give me that. Give me the best possible seat I can get, and I'll take my chances. I know a lot of people see the college basketball games, and they see every Tuesday and Friday on ESPN kind of the end products of point A and point B. But how do you know, kind of walk us through what the in between is? How do you determine? You know, Ohio State stays at the one, even though they lost last night, and Illinois beat a team without Iowa DeSumo. Just, just can you walk us through some of, some of you know, I guess what would be the kind of the inside basketball here that gets you from point A to point B? Yeah, I mean, I could explain all of that, Eric, but of course, then you know, we we'd have to have you eliminated. Uh, right, right. <laughs> classified, classified, highly sensitive information. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm additional opens the curtain so far. I, I get that. So whatever you'd be willing to no, reveal like, would be great. Like, I don't think what I do really is a secret, uh, be, because you know, for years I have been aggregating metrics, ranking teams accordingly, and then trying to apply a little bit of art to it based upon what I think the committee will do as humans, not computers, and what they've done in similar situations in the past. Like a lawyer depends a lot on case law in preparing arguments. What has been adjudicated in prior cases like this one? Well, I'm, I'm kind of a bracket lawyer in that regard. And and I'm looking, you know, I'm saying, all right, you know, the last five times we had a situation like this, four out of those five, it went like X. And then I apply that logic and hope that the committee sticks to its practices from years past. And when they do, I look good. And when they don't, they look good. And I don't. And that's just kind of the... Nature of the beast. That's the job that I've chosen. <laughs> I, I, I got you. And I know that you, you, you study a ton and again. So I, one of the questions I kind of had for you, and maybe you did not answer to this, but is there another a, a example of a team like Missouri in recent years who's gone from pick 10th in their conference to the number 10 seed in the country and now is tr- trending towards a number 10 seed in the NCAA tournament? Who's kind of had not a bell curve, but, you know, just, <laughs> you know, just a little bit like that, though. Maybe an upside-down bell curve. Uh Maybe. They'd, they'd like it to be. Uh, I, I'll be honest. There's not one coming to mind. 
maybe that's because this is my seventh interview in the last hour. Yeah. Uh, do you have one? Uh, Missouri, Missouri fans are not going to like my answer because I looked it up, and the 2013 Syracuse team, I think, made the Final Four was the team that I kind of found that had high season expectations reached them and then just fell, had the bottom fall out late. But I don't, I don't, I don't think Missouri fans want to hear they're going to make up their first Final Four ever with this team right now. I don't but, know that. I, I, like, I actually thought of them. I, I don't yeah. know that they were as good in the first part of that year as Missouri was this year. Like, wasn't that the year Bayheim was suspended? Yeah. Yeah. Am I thinking of a different year? No, I think you have you have the right year, and that's an interesting comparison considering how absolutely squeaky clean Conzo is with compliance in the NCAA. <laughs> so, yeah. So. I, I mean, look, thankfully that's not a part of the sport that I have to cover, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I just know that I had Syracuse out of the tournament that year, and uh, they, they made the Final Four, and I've had a love-hate relationship with the Syracuse fans ever since. Uh, they love to uh, hate me, mm-hmm. and that's just part of the deal. There are 357 teams, 68 of them make it, so by my math, that means at any point in time, 289 schools are going to think I'm a complete idiot. Fair, fair enough. There's anything I can do to take that mat. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I appreciate your time, uh, Joe. Two more quick questions for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, I, I know kind of the what, some of the things you've studied in the past, and you said kind of you're a bracket lawyer, so I guess does from, from your studies, does having the tournament at in one city or in one greater area change any of how you project things? I mean, usually they go all over the country. I think the Midwest would have been Memphis, Detroit, and some or and Indianapolis, which is on my dad, as opposed to just Indianapolis. Does having it all over the Hoosier State change anything you do? It actually makes the bracketing part a little bit easier because, you know, mm-hmm. we're not looking at mileage charts to see, all right, this team is 13 on the seed list, so they have first preference to go to Memphis versus – Team number 14, which might actually be closer to Memphis but didn't earn the spot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Once, once you apply the rules of avoiding, you know, conference rematches before they're permitted to happen, you pretty much just go down the list like a snake draft in your fantasy league and put teams in the bracket accordingly. So I've found it to be a little bit of a breather uh, in, the, in that regard, and I've always kind of thought they should do it that way anyway. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they don't care what I think. So this is probably a one-off. Fair enough. And final question here for you, Joe. You actually have a book coming out on Tuesday uh, called Bracketology with, I guess, a forward by Gonzaga coach Mark Few, March Madness, College Basketball, and the Creation of a National Obsession. Uh, I think it actually is released through Triumph Books on Tuesday. Can you give us just a little preview of the book? Yeah, the, the, thank you for bringing the, you know, allowing me to do this. Um mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it's not about – the book is not about me. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why I've resisted this so long is, like, I didn't think anybody would read a book about me. I wouldn't read a book about me. Uh, I, but, but as it turns out, the, the fellow that I work with, David Smale out of Kansas City, great guy, accomplished author, uh, he said, no, this is going to be about college basketball and bracketology's place in it in the evolution and growth of the sport. And hopefully also, you know, showcase your personality, mine. 
a little bit. Uh, so I think it does those things uh, without being, you know, me, 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 me. Uh, so if you like college basketball and you love the tournament, it's a good read. Sounds good. That was ESPN Bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be uh, looking for your brackets every Tuesday and uh, Friday on ESPN. Thank you so much, sir. You bet. Bye-bye. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And now, back to the show. Thank you once again to Joe Lenardi for taking time out of his such a busy schedule to join us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Uh, as we've said um, on the podcast with Joe, Mizzou currently is number seven seed according to his projections. Going to face Boise State in the first round, second round matchup. As of right now, going to be either Villanova or UMBC. I'm probably the only Mizzou writer who's been to UMBC's campus. It's actually pretty nice. Um, and then the number one seed in that region is Michigan. Joe does not like that matchup for Missouri. Do you agree or disagree with him if they get Villanova in the second round? That's that's the end of their season no matter what, if that plays out to be true. Langston. It is not desirable in yeah. any way, shape, or form. And I, I, I wish there was a video just to see my eyes when you asked that question because it was like, it's just obvious. Yeah. Uh, no, that Missouri does not want that at all. No. Um, so I'll ask you this, and we'll probably check our predictions because next time we have a podcast, it'll be before the LSU game. Um, as of right now, Missouri will be seated blank in the NCAA tournament, in your opinion. They're currently slotted at seven. Yes. I think they went out to finish the regular season. I'm going to go six. Six seed going into the season. That'd be interesting. Um, and I think that's probably their their ceiling. I mean, as of right now, I I, I, I think no matter what, they're probably they're going to split or there's no way they run, they run the table going into March. I just can't see that happening with their funk they're in. I can see them improving, but I can't see them winning their final six which is what they'd have to do to be undefeated the rest of the regular season. Oh, yeah. I want to finish undefeated. I mean the regular season, not going into the NCAA tournament. I, I knew that's what you meant. But and, yeah. but, uh, Just for clarity's sake. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, what happens in the SEC tournament? At this point, I don't think Missouri could drop to your your 9 or 10 range based off, based off of a disappointing uh, showing in the SEC tournament. But I, I do think the stealing is at 6. So you're in that 6 to 7, 8, 9 range. I don't really see Missouri falling below that. I think Missouri's ceiling is a five. I think their their bottom is a ten. Um, just from if they lose out, they lose their next three, which is what would have to happen. Florida, LSU, both don't hurt you, but they would obviously help your resume. Both Florida and LSU are in the tournament field. There's just the unknown of who that first round game would be against. There's a collection of teams right there. It could be anybody from Mississippi State to Ole Miss to Kentucky to Georgia to 
Arkansas, LSU. It, it could be really be anybody. Just it's not going to be Alabama um, in, in the first round, just because you know Missouri at this point has kind of locked themselves into it starting on Thursday. Um, as of right now, I'm pretty much thinking that A and M's off the rest of the year. So therefore, you have your 12 teams for the SEC tournament because Auburn won't be playing because they are on postseason ban anyway. You know, I, I just it, it's hard to see just how Missouri is going to just land this plane, in my opinion. You know, just it, they've shown top 10 potential, and they've also just befuddled us. So I, I think that there's more to play for and more of a question about them that we thought we would have going into March. And maybe that's what that, that's the true harm of losing Texas A&M, is that if Missouri loses to, loses to Texas A&M, we're having a, a completely different conversation right now but they just needed that game just to get, just get confidence back the closest thing to a d2 team they have left on their schedule so i mean i mean they're the worst team in the sec as of right now i mean vanderbilt has started to figure some things out they held tennessee close they held kentucky close lately and they play ole miss on saturday so we will see where everything falls there but yeah you know, it, it'll it'll be an interesting interesting end of the season for them for sure because i don't think anybody can truly predict it you know what's going to happen it's going to be interesting and it's crazy you were talking about how it would be such a monumental win for missouri to beat kentucky at home and then now they're both seven and seven in the conference and you kind of go from you know just the conversations that we were having we were talking about how this was a bad kentucky team how this was missouri's chance to really jump on them and, and send a message and all rolling and continue moving to being a third together really kind of the sec yeah for sure uh, much more basketball talk, especially as, you know, just we have at least probably still a month of Missouri season left. I mean, if they lose in the first weekend, which I think is where a lot of people kind of have them, they're not going to be a Sweet 16 team. They're making it to, you know, that Sunday. I guess it would be that. Yeah, it's, it's a day behind this year. I think it's that, that Sunday, Monday, that final week of March. Now going into other things, let's talk about the uh, women's basketball team for a little while. They just had their final home game of 20. 21 is the year home conference game the entire year but they were just so close to winning so much and you can tell that this team is either next year or the year after that is an ncaa tournament team and they have so much good potential and a good core but just making that next step is something that they've been chasing the entire year and have not been able to chase down yet in terms of beating a ranked team and beating a team that could just be that what the football team got out of the LSU win is exactly what the basketball team needs right now. The women's basketball team needs right now, and they just were chasing it and had more opportunities and just could not get that. Just, just, just they led Tennessee by five at the start of the fourth quarter last night. Ended up losing by five, and so just it's just been that kind of story over and over and over again. Just one little mulligan after another for them. Yeah, exactly. And even going back a little bit farther. Uh, Missouri was really competitive against number one South Carolina about two weeks ago and just not able to finish things out in the second half ended up losing that game 77 to 62 when you kind of look at the Missouri women's basketball season this year and a lot of them have been um, losses unfortunately but this is how you learn and this is how you build a program you know in a post Sophie Cunningham world when you want to get back to the NCAA tournament you know you're going to have years like this and you learn how to and you learn how to kind of win and get back to the NCAA tournament. It's just one of those years. They're one year away. And and their postseason hopes aren't gone. I mean, they beat Mississippi State on Sunday, and then they make a run in the SEC tournament. They make it to Saturday, the SEC tournament. Maybe they find a way with an at-large kind of 
into the NCAA field, but really a, a women's NIT bid is really what their range is right now, and they're squarely in that. The SEC is a deep league, and Missouri's, you know, all the metrics, RPI, net, and all that look look really good for them considering the competition and how close they've played them. So, you know, this is not this is just kind of living not on borrowed time, but you know, this this is good experience just going forward and you know, who knows what the Shook Dixons and Shannon Duplices of the world are gonna ha- are gonna come back or not. But Missouri just already has a core roster with some good recruits coming into Columbia next year that should make for a, a solid team. I'm not expecting this team to or anyone like that but you know at the end of the day this is a team that can very much just start climbing back into the thick of the sec and that's i i think anyone would take that in columbia at this point then going into other things we've kind of done this week uh spring football started and so i just came from there it was a a pretty cold day right out behind the matsy in columbia uh got to see everybody up close and you just I i guess it had been a while since i've just spent that much time at a practice due to covid you just forget how big some of these football players are i mean messiah swinson i'm looking you know we're not interviewing people in person we're just looking at he's just six seven and just huge just you you forget that at times uh but you know i think missouri has 12 new players on campus i think is what i counted uh 12 players with that jersey numbers um and so just seeing everybody kind of back and you know it'll be interesting to see how Eli Drinkwitz goes throughout this spring because you didn't have it last year. You know, it, it's just like what parameters are there, especially with the new coaching staff um, and, you know, new additions to the coaching staff as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We haven't talked to them via Zoom at all yet. That's going to be after we record this for them. And, you know, what we know what Eli Drinkwitz values, but what, what a player's value I think is a big deal. And talking to the Connor Bazelaks and the Tyler Beatties and the Martez Manuels of the world, I think that'll be a, a big deal. Definitely. And, you know, going into the spring, something that we didn't know last year that we definitely know now is Connor Baselak is the guy. His developing going into year two, I think he surprised a lot of people last year with his play and really kind of protecting the football. And so it will be inter- interesting to see, and we'll always continue to monitor. You know, when you have an offensive-minded coach like Elijah Drinkowitz, him not having a spring football, not really having a lot of the summer last year, is huge in him installing what he wants to do and really, really kind of changing the culture in the way that he wants to do offensively. It's interesting to see what he will do with the summer going into the next season. Yeah, you have um, the spring game is going to be March 20th, which I'll probably be in Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament. You know, they have so many different practices. I think it's a total of 16 and just it, it's just it's just i hate to say it, it's just nice to have somebody to look forward to during the spring i mean this time last year i think it was a year ago today actually the 26th that makes sense that i was at, i was at a pro wrestling show with former with, with still uh, tribune digital editor gabby velasquez and just we were just in, in a crowd and we're going to shut down you know and so that'll be what's interesting about going to the sc tournament again this year which missouri's game will be less than two weeks from today in nashville so it's just going to be interesting more so is what i'm getting at is without an opponent without just purely on player development who steps up this spring and you know just looking at you know the players that are returning you know seeing a kiki chisholm back i think is going to be a big deal you know and, and who how did the you know the young some of the younger guys get get you know just involved the mookie coopers the dominic lovitz of the world how, how are they how are they going to look and how do you think you know just people kind of adjust to college football you never know you know i'm looking at someone like the jadarius perkins the you know, junior college cornerback transfer. He was working out with the twos today. I don't expect that to last. I expect him maybe even to start come the fall. 
how does he impress? Just, just that's the most interesting thing is just when looking at your the nucleus of this team, who stands out, and that's where you know it's make or break time. You don't you don't figure those things out on the fly unless you absolutely have to in the fall. So now going into uh, the availability of Jim Sterk on uh, Tuesday before the Ole Miss game. They said this before the Ole Miss game, and I don't think the loss to them changes this any. But the biggest news coming out of that is that uh, pure, purely simple. I asked Jim Sterk. You know, where did things stand? You know, do you want to you know, give an extension to Conzo Martin? Or where does that stand? Because Conzo's in year four of seven, soon to make soon to make his second NCAA tournament in four years as a coach. So where does that stand? And Jim Sterk basically replied that it, it's the time to start looking at that. There was a, a – I don't give much levity to this at all, but there was a rogue Twitter account that added me on a week ago that said that if Jim Laranega retires at Miami, that there would be a mutual interest between Conzo and Miami. And I was like, oh, that'd be – interesting considering i don't think that's on anybody's radar at all i'm sure there's gonna be a market for Conzo as an african-american coach with such a great pedigree and on the court and off the court but from every i think there's only truly one job that's going to lure Conzo away right now with what he's trying to build the mizzou and that's purdue and i don't see matt painter getting fired with how they're recruiting over there and should be maybe even a favorite to win the big 10 next year so I just I I don't know. What are your thoughts? Should Missouri extend Conzo? What, what, what do you think that everything stands like? Before the season, you and I talked about how this is the year he had to make the NCAA tournament. You know, after two years of not making it, after um, having the success with the, the team that had MPJ, obviously he had his injuries, and that team didn't really reach its full potential due to injuries and had the injuries as well to Jonte Porter. But this was the year they had returning seniors, they have experience, they had to make the NCAA tournament. They got as high as ranked tenth in the nation, and they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I think he's done everything that he needed to do with this team, and we'll see how far they go in the SEC tournament. We'll see how, how far they go in March Madness. But every benchmark that you and I thought he had to reach, he's done it. So, of course, it's time to start talking about an extension. And it, it's sort it's of saying a couple things and putting this all in perspective. Number one, it's still been 11 years since Missouri's won an NCAA tournament game, and Missouri has a good chance to do it this year. Number two, and I don't know, you must have been a... What, what were you doing in the uh, spring of 2010? I was a senior in high school. Jeez, I think I was living in Germany at the time. Okay. Yeah, so not not uh, paying attention to Mizzou athletics sure. at all. <laughs> sure. And I think it's worth keeping in mind for anyone listening to this that how far Konzo had to come from the Kim Anderson era. You still, you know, Konzo, even at 7-7 seven seven in the conference, could still beat Kim Anderson's career sec win record i think it's eight he won eight sec games not including the sec tournament in his three years three two three Conzo's won seven this year and while yes i think there's something to be made about the panic and disgruntlement about what's happened over the past really months since the tennessee game missouri's had a terrible victory and that was over south carolina there's a completely legitimate point to make you just can't use that reasoning when talking about the long-term future of Conzo Martin. You're like, oh, they've, they've you know, had a, a few weeks. You know, you, you can't call it like that. It just seems very different to me, the point you have to make of, should Conzo Martin be the full men's basketball coach going forward long-term, or has Missouri played the best basketball over the last few weeks? It seems you can't make those same criteria back-to-back. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. And, and I'm happy you brought up the Ken Madison era because I was a freshman at Mizzou in his final year. And to be completely honest, I, w- I wasn't really a Mizzou sports fan at the time. I 
didn't really pay attention to Mizzou sports until you know I became a student. But those teams in that final year, it was basically a glorified D2 team at that point. And so when you look at where Missouri has come from there to now, I mean, Coach Conzo has done everything I feel like he needs to do to get an extension. And the last three weeks shouldn't change a, a, a three- to four-year body of work. Yeah, and it's it's not like there's somebody huge in waiting. You're not going to go to one of his assistants. They're great guys, Cornell, Marco, and Chris. But they, they you just you're going to go to an outside guy who's going to change things up. And I don't think that Missouri needs a complete shakeup, especially with the roster retention they're hoping to get and the inroads in recruiting that Conzo is hoping to build. You know, in the St. Louis area, I, I think switching right now, unless you know John Calipari gets fired by Kentucky which is not going to happen. Lifetime deal. It's a lifetime happening. deal there. It's never going to happen. There's, what I'm saying is just, just you know, and, and looking at several other factors of what Conzo can do, and I'm going to tease my Sunday centerpiece story in, in the Tribune, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write about his long-term, you know, kind of outlook and what brought him to this moment at Mizzou. You know, just looking at several factors, you know, college basketball has never been, been going to crack down more on people who do wrong in terms of, you know, the several, you know, recruiting violation, you know, you know, uh, sanctions that are coming out, you know, cons. There's not a, you know, there, I said this with Joe, but there's not a how he's motivated players on the court and off the court. There's a strong case to make that Conzo got the most out of and the best PR out of the things that happened this summer with George Floyd and Jacob Blake. And while yes, that his primary goal in being here is to win basketball games. Being one of the faces of the university alongside Robin Pinchton and Eli Drinkwitz, in my opinion, with the programs they coach, there's an unwritten rule that you have to almost be proficient in PR and nail that part of your job. And to be honest with you, Conzo is not Eli. He's not out there intelligent and just, you know, he's going to make a moment by just being himself. Conzo is not that guy. He's cool, calm, and collected. But Conzo's... I guess M.O. is just as powerful to me as someone who covers him because he takes his moments seriously. He doesn't take as many, but, but but when he does, you listen. And not because Eli takes every moment. That's just Eli, and that's great. And Robin's kind of a mixture of the two. So, yeah, I, I just think I can't see a legitimate argument as of right now to where this summer they don't extend Conzo. Sit very much in the same vein as how I thought, and this is not me saying what I, I'm me predicting Conzo's future, but it was undeniable that Missouri needed to pay Barry Odom after the 2018 season. He had earned it, he deserved it, he crashed, and then got fired. This is, this is not, you know, giving Conzo Martin the contract extension does not guarantee his future here long term if they crash in the same way Barry Odom did. Um, I think the trigger figure is going to be a little less happy because Jim Sterk hired Conzo, but um, I, I just think that in terms of securing someone there's going to be a market for this summer is imperative, and, and the main task, I say, the rest of the year for Jim Sterk is getting long-term here. All right. Well, we took a tiny bit of a break um, from recording for uh, actually to listen to uh, thoughts on it before we wrap this episode. We talked to Eli Drinkwitz, Connor Bazelak. Help me out if I miss anybody. Kiki Chisholm, and under five. I'm missing somebody. Um, oh, Tyler Beatty. Um, we got him as well. We usually don't talk to Tyler that much. Overall thoughts, listen to any part of that. Langston. First takeaway is... It, it it was really interesting to just hear Tyler Bray discuss being the number one featured back, um, something that I didn't know that Missouri fans 
didn't get a lot to see due to uh, Larry and Roundtree. And I, I think Larry was fantastic, but I think there's a little bit more explosion, especially in the pass catching game that that Beatty can present. And so it was interesting to see him be the number one back. He said that he's you know built you know to be a three down back and to, and to carry the load in the SEC. And I think it's going to be imperative that he's able to do that going into next year because this Missouri team is going to miss Roundtree. Yeah, yeah, they they are going to miss Roundtree, and I think that. You know, my biggest takeaway, and it might be because I'm focusing more there, but I've covered Martez Manuel since he was a senior at Rockbridge. He has definitely taken a step up in confidence. He's not a, he's not an unconfident guy to begin with, but he definitely took a step up in terms of his voice. You, know, you can tell the difference between what a guy like a Nick Bolton or a Larry Roundtree sounded like last year, even a Tyree Gillespie or a Joshua Bledsoe, compared to what sophomore Martez sounded like. And not like sophomore Martez was bad at all. He even just said the line on Zoom of like, you know, you know, in terms of learning the playbook, you know, if you have a question, come and ask me because if I don't know the answer. We're got much bigger problems than that. That's the sign of someone who is just ready to be a leader. That just screamed, wow. That was something I don't think we had heard from someone like him all of last year. Yeah, definitely. And and kind of adding on deep passing this offseason, you know, in comparisons to the offseason before when he was recovering from that ACL tear, he's got a full offseason now with Coach Drinkwitz to really kind of work on that and add that next element into the game because that's something that they were definitely missing this year and and really from just going off the top of my head most of the long balls that I remember were off of gadget plays or off of trick plays at that so if Connor can add that add a vertical game for Missouri I mean it it's going to be huge things for the Tigers moving forward and it's exciting to hear Connor be comfortable in knowing that he's the guy going in yeah he's qb1 going into next year doesn't have to worry about fighting for his position sean robson has now moved over to safety he's qb1 and i'm excited to see if he can take that next step yeah anything else you want to talk about before we end this probably long episode <laughs> no not at all all right for links and newsome i've been eric Blum. thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou sports podcast and we'll see you next time